the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Ad number 209, Puppies and Rainbows edition, for Monday, June 29th, 2009. How'd you like that? Greetings. Hi, John. How are you? <laughs> You're not going to let me do the intro again. So let me explain <laughs> That's that. That's the end of it. <laughs> so one of our, uh, one of our uh, uh, favorite listeners, um, Scott Barman, uh, also DC Dog, um, said that we had too many rants in the last podcast, So I prom- and he told us that we, sh- we could only say nice things in this podcast, so I <laughs> promised we would do the Puppies and Rainbows edition for him. Of course, you know... If everything was perfect, then we have nothing to rant or complain about. So I, I don't know if you want a podcast where all we do is say nice things about, you know, software and hardware and stuff like that. Preach on, man. That's uh, that's John Braun there, live from Fairfield, Connecticut. I'm I'm Dave Hamilton here in the TMO Towers East in Durham, New Hampshire. We are the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Cab. Uh, yeah, that, that, uh, that was funny, John. You know, uh, we got... A lot of questions in over the last week, and I tried to be creative about how we put them together. I, I uh, you know, normally we organize by topic and uh, and and you know, trying to be thematic about it. And and tonight the theme for for organizing the questions, what I tried to do was short questions that mm-hmm. would that would be short answers, and then the long things where we we sort of go go into uh, you know a little more depth. So we're going to try that. We'll see if we'll see if I was my guesses were correct, because you never really know when we start to answer a question, what's going to happen. That's why. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a tough call. It's a I'm sure it's a it's a failed experiment before we even start. So uh, let's right. let's defer the start of the experiment off a little bit. Um, I finally had the opportunity to get up and running on this Runcore SSD drive. Now, uh the way it works is uh, they, it's actually pretty cool. They send you a drive and an enclosure, a USB. It's a SATA drive, right? It's a two and a half inch. The one they sent me was the, the 128 gig Pro 4 SATA. Uh, so it's a 128 gig SSD drive. The list price on the thing is 500 bucks, 499. So bear, mm-hmm. bear all that in mind, right? And we can talk about price in, in a little bit here, John, and, and how it relates to the rest of the world. But it comes with a case and... Uh, in theory, the drive comes with a copy of uh, Super Duper on it, I think is, is what it's supposed to have on it. It didn't. Uh, at least the, the, I tried, you know, I put the drive in the case. The idea is you put the drive in the case, you hook it up to your computer, you run Super Duper to clone everything from your internal hard drive over to this. Then you crack open your computer, you replace the internal hard drive, you put the uh, SSD drive in, and then you're good to go. Uh, okay, so, so this is a specifically a Mac version. Exactly. And I guess and, and external is the intent, I guess. Though. No, no, internal is the end result. But but they know that you need to hook it up externally to your laptop to get there. So they include this case in the price and, and bundle I of the see. drive. Okay. So you did put it okay. So you were using it internally or externally? Well, I'll I'll explain. So I put it in the okay. the external case, I hooked it up USB two, right? And uh and then I realized it was a Windows formatted disk and there was no Super Duper on here anywhere I looked, but it didn't matter. I had Super Duper. So I reformatted it as a, uh, you know, a HFS plus volume with with all the right permissions and all that stuff. Uh, I set it up as a GUID disk, you know, repartitioned the whole thing 
And then I ran my own copy of Super Duper, which I use every day anyway, uh, and and copied all the data over. And it, you know, it took a while, right? I mean, it, you know, I copied uh, a little over a hundred gigs of data, so it, you know, I just let it run all night. Mm-hmm. And then I and then I booted back up. Now, I have a 15 inch MacBook Pro that I bought uh, last February, so it is the old model, which means 20 screws and lots of sweat and and 10 more gray hairs in order to get the hard drive out yeah. and and replaced. So and and the other thing is I am not I'm still in the market for I think I'm going to buy one of those 13-inch MacBook Pros, but I'm going to wait until they hit the refurb store. So I might be a month or two. So I figured, you know, if I'm going to do that even if it's in a month or two, uh you know, I I can live off of a USB drive for a little bit here. So I I would say though with this particular model of machine, Dave, yep. I I may even choose to have someone else do it. It's not this, that This bad. is not for, the, well, I, I would say this is not for a beginner. Definitely not. If you know how to use a screwdriver and you know how to use a soldering iron and, um, and you, and you're not afraid to, uh, to, to get dirty because there's things that you've got to like, you know, peel little connectors off and, and you've got to have a pretty decent amount of manual dexterity yeah. and trust in yourself. Right. Yeah. And if you know how to, you know, ground yourself and know why you should, especially when you're poking around inside your machine, then, then yeah, go for it. Yeah. But but, uh, but you may want to go ahead and and we, we covered this before like you know get a little like an ice cube tray or something like that yeah. you want to keep track of all the screws uh maybe take pictures along the way just because i, I don't uh, again from what i recall when i did this with our pal duffy um it, yeah, it gets it, ugly. it takes it can so you got to be very precise and be able to follow instructions exactly so anyways um but right. but they, did they include instructions to do that or, or they, you, they did to a to a degree yes yeah so uh but and I'll state up front that the SATA interface inside the computer if I were to mount this drive internally would allow this drive to go faster than over USB and and there's some benchmarks of these drives that say that will they will actually pretty pretty easily uh as far as data transfer rates beat uh, USB when they're installed internally via SATA. So I am ad- admitting up front that I am not necessarily getting full performance out of this drive. And I'm okay with that because of the, all the aforementioned conditions. So uh, I, I get the thing up and I, I reboot the computer. And then I immediately upon rebooting, what I do is I unmounted my internal hard drive so that it wasn't even appearing on the desktop. So no think nobody could find it. And then I, you know, I actually, before I did that, I added it to the time machine exclusion list and, and all of that. So, you know, I, I got it to the point where I'm happy running off of this, this USB drive. It is. So, so there's something very, uh, instantly very different about running off of a SATA drive. A couple of things. One is it's, it's silent. Right. I mean, it it makes no noise. You don't have any of that grinding or crunching or head spinning and or uh, platter spinning and heads moving and all that stuff that happens inside a hard drive. It's just it's just quiet. It just runs. Um, but it, the the big difference to me is the I, I don't know if zero millisecond is the right measurement, but but very, very close to zero millisecond seek time. And And what I mean by that is. When when you have a physical hard drive that has platters and, and heads in it, you know, I, I think of it like an old record player, which I realize, as I explain it every time, is probably lost on more and more of the uh, of the audience out there uh, because nobody uses record players anymore. But I'll, I'll stick with the analogy. And the idea is, you know, you've got this platters or record spinning inside the uh, in the drive and then you've got the heads or the needles that kind of dance around on it searching for data. 
And the time that it takes the drive to jump the needle from one spot to another is called seek time. And they, you know, they'll they'll publish specs for average seek time. And, you know, I, I don't know whether they're down to 10 milliseconds or nine milliseconds sometimes now. But but that's an average. And, and that's, you know, usually a, a, a better case average than than not. A lot of times if you've got to jump all over the place, especially if you're jumping, right. you know, from from the furthest point to the furthest point and back multiple times, it's going to be a whole lot more than nine milliseconds. And right. we and we've all seen this. Right. You know, have you ever tried to launch four apps at once or, uh, you know, if Time Machine is running and mobile me is syncing and you're trying to type or, or launch a Web page in Safari where it's got to you know, read or write from the cache. A lot of disk activity can just bind up your system and really, really slow you down. Oh, With yeah. This, I'll see menu meters on constantly. Right. That's, you, I think, how you tell that, you know, your, your drive's real busy. It yeah. may be reading and writing at the same time, in which case, yeah, you're... You're hosed. Right. Yeah. And and you'll see the CPU sit very low during those times, usually, while the, you know, while the drives are... It's just basically waiting on data, and it can't really do anything until it gets that data. And heaven forbid, during one of those operations, it has to create a swap file and page, you know, stuff from RAM out to it, right? I mean, all this stuff, you, you just hear the computer grind down, right? And uh, that simply doesn't happen with this SSD drive because there are no, there's no moving parts. It literally doesn't have any motor or anything inside it. It's just right. a chip. So I think you're dealing with a memory controller, I exactly. guess. Exactly. You're saying, okay, read from here, read from here. And obviously, to me, the time to do that in memory versus... A physical device is way, way, way less. It's way less. So even just way less, not way, way, way. It's <laughs> even coming. even though I'm running over USB and maybe not getting full throughput out of the drive, I'm certainly getting the benefit of v- no or very, very little seek time. And let me tell you, one day on this thing, and I knew that this was by far the most the, the biggest upgrade in terms of performance impact that I've ever done to a computer ever. And that includes, you know, doubling the RAM or, you know, processor speed, even processor speed, because, you know, you're always waiting on the stupid disk. It's always in the way. And it's even more so now that we've all got, relatively speaking, you know, wicked fast processors and gobs and gobs of RAM. I mean, compared to, you know, you and I, we started with 64K of RAM and one megahertz processor, right? You know, but we were, even back then, what are you doing most of the time? Well, waiting on the disk. Why? Because the disk is the slowest link in the chain. So it, it makes a huge difference. I can launch four apps and, you know, then open or then click on Safari and just start doing my thing. And the apps launch in the background and it's fine. But there is no wait there's nothing. It just cooks. It, it's awesome. And it's, you know, after I run it for a couple of days, I picked up the drive, which is just in a metal, you know, the metal case that they, they gave me and uh, with it. And it, I mean, it's cool to the touch. There's no heat. Um, it, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. It really, really is the single most, the single biggest performance update I've ever seen from from an upgrade, you know, from an incremental upgrade that you can do to your computer. Really? Like, yeah. Like going from a floppy to a hard drive? Yeah, that's right. It's 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 akin to that. That's right. Yeah. yeah thinking, rem- hard drive technology is, I mean, other than them getting bigger and bigger and maybe bigger caches and buses. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are kind of incremental. This is this is a new animal, which I think they're still refining. 
Yeah, it, it's an order of magnitude difference. I mean, it, uh-huh. it is instant. You notice it and, and especially notice it over time. I mean, I don't even realize that I have, you know, exceeded the amount of RAM that I have and paged out to disk or anything. It's just it's not an issue until I fill up the, you know, the flash drive, but or the SSD right, right. drive. Right. But, you know, up until I fill it up, it, it's just not an issue. Uh, it really impressive. I, I'm, I'm totally blown away by this thing. So, so, you know, the question is, what do I do? You know, do I, the, the, my, my, my question, and I haven't, I haven't looked and I haven't, uh, actually don't have an Apple SSD drive to test and see how theirs compare to the run core and, and all that, but that would be the next, uh, the next interesting experiment to do. But, uh, very impressed with the run core other than the fact that, it didn't have super duper on the drive when I put it in, but for for me that wasn't an issue. Hopefully, you know, for the rest of the world, they've they've got that sorted okay. out. So, so Runcore makes the drive. Presumably, it's, like- it's their name on the drive, and and I, from what I understand, they are they are making these uh, themselves. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm just curious if if uh, do, do you have it on on a machine now? It's on my MacBook Pro downstairs. Yeah. And, okay. and you're going no, to have to pry it out of my info. Yeah, I understand. Pry it out of my cold dead fingers if you ever, you know, if anybody ever wants this thing. You know, it's a it's a review loaner, so I'm sure I'm going to have to pay them for it. Which would, it's going to be much easier to get the money out of my hands than it is the drive. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it that way. So. Cool. So um, no, I, I'd be curious what you see when you go to um, if you go into hardware USB if it identifies the brand of driver if it says Runcore, which it probably um, does. You know, oh, the computer fell asleep. Crud. Eh. Not uh, important. Let us know next time. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'll report it next time. Now, yeah, so this is up and coming because so so I was I, I don't have a, a report. We'll save that for next time. Okay. But I was at a, a show um, uh, in New York City last week, uh, and there were uh, it, it was called um, Rock and Bowl. So Pepcom puts these on. It's a okay. uh, media events. They have you know forty fifty vendors. Um, usually some interesting theme. This was a. Uh, bowling night, of course. So they had a bowling fair, like you know, hot dogs and uh, oh, nice! <laughs> a lot of stuff that wasn't good for you. So uh, of course, oh man, you know, uh, uh, tater tots and uh, you know, and, and fish and chili and you know, stuff that you'd find sure. in like a, a bowling hall. Sure, so, that's awesome. Or bowling alley. Um, so, anyways, they had not one, Dave, not two, but three vendors there also showing uh, SSD drives. I believe it was uh, Seagate, Western Digital, and Kingston. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So, so there's there people are hot on hot on this trail. Yeah. Yeah. And this sounds like state of the art because I think the largest size right now, last I checked, was 128 gigabytes. That's about the largest you're going to get. Uh. Okay. Unless so, someone's no, they Runcore sells, and I believe it's 899. Um, but they now, sell a 256 gig okay. drive. Now we we should talk about uh, the technology that's used inside SSD drives. They used to be, I mean, let, let's face it, they're still expensive. I mean, 500 bucks for 128 gigs, right? You can, you can probably get that for somewhere between 50 and 80 in a regular, you know, two and a half inch laptop size hard drive. So, so you're, mm-hmm. you're definitely paying a premium, but even sure. though it's almost an order of magnitude premium, it's, it's only a couple hundred bucks, right? I mean, it's 400 bucks, but, but still right. it's, it's not, you know, $4,000. It's not totally astronomical. And it, I'll be frank, if you're somebody that travels a lot with a laptop, you know, the, the benefits go beyond everything I've already mentioned, the, the, the speed and all that. You now have a drive that is solid state. And I know that's in the name, but but it's worth considering that a solid state drive, if you drop your MacBook, is not really going to suffer from any, uh, you know, motion problems that a hard drive would. 
Now, yeah, Apple has the sudden motion sensor, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm sure that I know I'm sure that's good. But let's face it. Right. You know, I mean, if the drive doesn't have moving parts, even better. So. Right. Um, so I see some da- uh, one downside. OK, we can move on. So one downside of these drives. A lot of times when, uh, you know, when I'm wondering if my machine is actually on or running. Yeah. I'll sometimes bend over and put my ear near the keyboard and listen to see if I hear the hard drive spinning or chattering. You're not going to have that with these. No, you're not. Maybe that's probably a good thing. I, I was going to say, I, I, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not so sure that I would be all that concerned about it. Let's put it this way. Until you mentioned it, I hadn't really worried about that particular aspect of this yeah, drive as a negative. I not. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing is that these, uh, I would imagine, at least from a power standpoint, uh, is going to be drawing relatively less power. I don't know if you have any numbers in front of I, you, but I don't have those numbers, but I would, I would definitely assume that. Yeah. I mean, it, it stands to reason, right? So versus running a motor. Yeah. 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 So, uh, cool. Okay. okay. So I'll no, have some it, uh, more details for the next show about uh, some others, but, but that's awesome. So it, it's worth talking about the technology because as we get into oh, this, yes. people will see, uh, two different types of SSD drives mentioned. There are, SLC single layer controller, I think, and MLC multi-layer controller. I will preface this by saying I do not know enough about this technology to try and translate it into human as I often try to do for everyone here. But what I do know is in single layer, single layer cells and multi-layer cells in single layer cells, a single bit is stored in each cell in a multi-layer cell. Multiple bits are stored in the same cell. For reasons that uh, I don't fully understand, and maybe you do, John, but if you don't, uh, you know, we'll leave it at that. Reading and writing from single layer cells is much, much faster than reading and writing from multi-layer cells. But it's cheaper to make multi-layer cell drives. What the folks at Runcore have been able to do is get massive bandwidth out of multi-layer cells. And the benefit there, of course, is that they can sell these at you know, using air quotes, cheaper prices, because it, it is about half the price of a single layer cell. And as far as the benchmarks go, and like I said, I, I you know, I can't really test it uh, yet because I don't have it internal to the machine. So USB isn't really the right, uh, the right interface for this. But Runcore is getting, you know, gobs and gobs of bandwidth out of these things compared to the, to the uh, you know, the reports from other folks. Now, I'm sure, you know, they're not the only ones, as you mentioned, Western Digital, Kingston and Seagate, probably hot on the trail here and, and maybe, you know, even surpassing it. So. OK, yeah, I see a section on this. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I did not. Well, now it makes sense, actually, because at least one of the vendors had a S series and an M series. So right. Actually, that's exactly what they're doing. They're offering. Right. Different drives for for different reasons. Um, yeah, let me read up on this. I, okay. I I have a section here, but I'm I'm not going to read it right. now. Right, and uh, right. maybe I can go to a little more depth next week when I talk about the the different ones that I saw and a few other toys. Yep, cool. Okay, so that's uh, that that's the, and I, like I said, you know, my the only decision I have to make when I get the new MacBook Pro is to get the Apple SSD drive in it, which is a three hundred and fifty dollar Delta to put the 128 gig Apple SSD in versus the, uh, the, the, the run car one, which is, you know, $500 upgrade. But, but of course I, I get another yeah. hard drive out of it. So, and actually I'm curious from, uh, our listeners, um, if you do have an Apple machine with an SSD, uh, if you could take a peek in system profiler yep. and see which one they're using, I'm curious because Apple doesn't make their own drives they may sometimes, you know, have them 
specially made, and they'll have a little apple on the sticker and stuff right. like that. But um, yeah, I'd be curious who who their vendor or vendors of choices. It may be whoever is convenient at the time. Just for the just for the record, John, I did look in system profile. I woke up the machine downstairs and and uh, mm-hmm. and checked it. It because it's USB. All I get to see is the brand name of the controller. I don't get to see oh. the brand name of the drive. So it, it's not a fair comparison. But but okay. for those interested, Runcore is using controllers in this drive anyway from or in this. USB case from Inidio, I-N-I-T-I-O, but that, that's probably inconsequential to this conversation. So, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, all right, so it's time to get to the shorts. But before we do that, our mm-hmm. first sponsor for the night, Audio Engine. The, the, you know, the beauty of talking about Audio Engine is they have so many different cool products that, uh, that, that we can tell you about at audioengineusa.com. But the one that I constantly and and repeatedly hear from listeners about is the Audio Engine A5s, which is really their flagship product. It's the first product they ever came out with. These are what they call bookshelf speakers. You can put them on your desk, but they're big. You know, they're probably uh, you have you have a set, John, you know, maybe almost a foot tall and, you know, six inches wide and maybe eight inches deep. Two speakers. Uh, two separate enclosures and then two speakers inside each enclosure, a, a woofer and a tweeter. And the sound that you get out of these things is is huge. Uh, you know, you can actually buy a subwoofer, the S8, to go along with it. But uh, but in many instances, you probably won't even need it. I mean, it, they just have a full, warm sound uh, and it they really kick. Now, they're they're three hundred and forty nine bucks for for the pair. If you're going to get black or white, if you want a wood grain uh, add a hundred bucks to it because it's actually a, a wood grained enclosure. It's not you know simulated wood grain. It's 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 real wood. Uh, the beauty is they will allow you a, a free audition. They call it. Uh, you buy them, they'll ship them to you, which is a free. It's free shipping, and you get thirty days to uh, audition these at, at your home or office or wherever you're going to set them up, and uh, and you're good to go. The A5s have a couple of interesting features in addition to obviously being self-powered speakers. They have an AC outlet on the back so you could hang uh, an Airport Express off of these. And then it's got uh, they've got different inputs that you can use. You can use RCA jack inputs or the little uh, mini eight headphone style input. It's also got a USB port on the top that you can use to charge your iPod if that's connected or your iPhone or whatever you want. You just plug your little USB dock connector in and. And up you go. So it's the Audio Engine A5 uh, premium bookshelf speakers for $349 from AudioEngineUSA.com. And now, John. I got to say, they rock. I got the A5s. It, uh, I don't know how they do this, but, but to me, one test of speakers is if you can turn them all the way up and they don't distort. Right. These do not. They just get louder, much to the uh, enjoyment of uh, anybody <laughs> in, the, in the surrounding area. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, Rob writes, quick question regarding wireless networking. I understand that if an N network is being shared with agents connecting with B, G and N adapters, the network speed will be degraded to an extent because of the presence of B and G agents connecting on the network. Does this fact apply only when those B and G adapters are actively moving data or does it apply even when those adapters are inactive? I have an Apple Airport Extreme base station, which automatically switches between. Oh, we don't have to talk about the rest of it. Okay, so there's the question. Does the uh, fact apply when B and G adapters are actively moving data or does it even apply when adapters are inactive? Hi, John. That's a great question. Um, (laughs) I would say. um, If. 
the base sees another um, a compatibility a machine that that is is taking advantage of compatibility mode just the fact that it's there i would say would put it in in and, and i think that's what it's called compatibility mode I'll, right. I, I know we we found documentation on this which uh, that talks about that or something similar so i think just the fact that other people that are not the high speed network are on there is going to put you in this mode where you're not going to get the uh the best performance. I think the way to get the best performance, at least with airport, for example, is when you configure the radio can configure it for an only option and not a compatible option. Cause the compatible implies that you're going to be letting people, you're going to be mixing uh, different flavors of 802.11. Right. And, and, and just to be fair, uh, it, if you set your, your radio to be fully compatible, but you only have N clients connected, it will operate at N only speeds. But as soon as a G or B uh, client is connected, it's not going to slow the end people all the way down to B or G. But it is going to I, I think what we found, John, was that it, it reduces the packet size um, and 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 that then kind of reduces the throughput, even though you're connecting it at a, a faster speed. I, I think that that was it in a nutshell, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Right, John. That sounds about right, but okay. if we're wrong, yeah, somebody will tell us. Yeah. us. They yeah. always let us. No, it's great. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so it's it as as soon as that client is alive, meaning it's connected, associated with the base station, and powered on, like i.e., not asleep. Whether or not it's passing data back and forth, uh, I don't. I don't think that matters. I think you're you're going to see the performance hit as soon as that yeah. client is attached. So yeah. Now I got one piece of advice for Rob because in his email, yep. So he was talking about different flavors of flavors. Bleh. There we go. Of 802.n. So of course, uh, 802.11. So of course there's n, which is however many megabits per second. 270. 270. G, which is 54. And B, which I think is 11. 11. Dude, get that B out of there, man. Yeah. That, that's just going to drag you way down, I think. That's, that's like the worst possible scenarios to have all of those. If anything, I would suggest get a El Cheapo if they even still make them. Get get a B and isolate that that baby. Yeah, it, it, that's actually true. Get, get you know for fifty bucks or less, you could get a base station that'll do B. Even if it'll do B and G, you know, isolate that out so that your N uh, devices are are clean, pristine, and running mean. Because I'm just running N and G. I got to run G because that's on the TiVo. So uh, yeah, yeah. There's no so. We are clearly incapable of answering short questions. I mean, we've proven that already. Uh, <laughs> that's okay, though. Um, so here, here's the here's the advice for for the TiVo because I've talked about this with my brother because you know TiVo does not sell nor support 802.11n adapters for TiVo, uh, but the the series three TiVo has a processor that will let it go fast enough to where it will actually transfer data at, at speeds faster than, than really? 802.11 G. Yeah. But here's it. And you could connect ethernet to it and go, you know, at least a hundred right. megabit, if not gigabit, I, I mm-hmm. think it's got a gigabit port in it. So here's the idea. Um, you can, you can fake it with an N connection by buying an N capable router and setting it up in WDS mode, right? So let the router attach to your other N router that's actually sending the signal, right? And then plug an Ethernet cable from the router into the TiVo, and it'll go faster. So there's your geeky advice now, of the now day. Now, this plugs in via USB. I mean, uh, although they, they, they encourage you, and I think the... I guess my question is, is there someone that makes a USB N 
adapter. Yes, but TiVo doesn't work, support it. Does that mean that it will it not work? Won't it will not? Okay. Yep. Yep. I'm well, just wondering if there's an unsupport. Like nope. You know, some may. Okay. Yep. So I, I, only is it that it only works with theirs at this point? Uh, no, there are others that it that it will work with, but none of them are the end capable adapters. Okay, because yeah. typically a USB device has a vendor and a product code, so I think if it just sees one yeah. that it doesn't recognize on the on the the cool kids list, it's just not going to. Well, it, it's got to have a driver in there. So, all right. So, should we try the next one to be a, a quick question, John? It, I mean, it, it won't be. I, I already know it won't be, but that's okay. This will be quick. Hi. Uh, in your last podcast, technically you misused the terms differential and incremental with regards to backups. Uh, technically, a differential backup um, copies all the files that have changed since the last full backup without ma- marking them as having been ma- backed up. Whereas an incremental backup backs up all the files that need that are marked as needing to be backed up, and then marks them as being backed up. Difference being, uh, if you have two or three incremental updates uh, backups since your last full backup, and some goes haywire, then you got to do the full restore the full backup, and then the three in- incremental backups in sequence to get back. Whereas if you have a differential, you can skip those first two differential backups and go straight to the third differential backup. So they have two restore operations, the uh, the full and then the one differential. Anyway, just wanted to clear that up. Thanks. Bye. I, I love this guy, John, because we get, you know, we've, we've, we've played comments from him before, but he just launches right in. He doesn't say hi. He doesn't identify himself. Uh, he, he just launches right in to the question or the comment. Mm-hmm. Usually it's a comment correcting something uh, that, yes. that he sees that we got wrong and off we go. All right. Josh Wait. writes. I have an iMac fully updated with an external hard drive attached. I use the external hard drive only for multimedia storage, music, videos, pictures, etc. So the only time it should be accessed is via iTunes, QuickTime, uh, uh, QuickTime or iPhoto or if browsing it. For some reason, Safari seems to be accessing the drive. Occasionally while browsing the Internet with the aforementioned applications all closed, my browser will freeze beach ball And the external drive will spin up. This only lasts for about 15 seconds and is more of an annoyance than a problem. But I was wondering if you knew any way to see what was reading or writing to or from the external drive. Other things I've checked. Time Machine ignores the external drive. Downloads from Safari go to my internal drive. And I have no apps at all installed on the external. All right, John. Any uh, any thoughts there? Wow. Um you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, I think, but uh, there is a utility, L-S-O-F, mm-hmm. which you could run that and then using various magics, see what, if anything, Safari has open that it really shouldn't. Actually, what you would do is search not for Safari, but search for the path. Well, you could search for Safari, but that's under the assumption that it's Safari that's causing this, but right. it may um, very well be something else. So what I would do is is in the L-S-O-F out output i would look for the draw the path to the drive yes. right and then that that's going to tell you what what's accessing it but i've good I, one i uh thanks man i um i see this i i have a, a similar setup i've got a couple external drives that i don't use a whole lot especially now that i've got the time capsule with for backups and the the drobo for archiving and occasionally you know i'll i'll have to sit through that you know 10 second beach ball while while it spins up or, or one of them spins up 
And I even hear it with the Drobo. The Drobo will sometimes spin up and, you know, that's got to then spin up three drives because that's what it has in it. So you wait even longer. Um, and, I, and I see this sometimes for no rhyme or reason. You know, the OS has a lot going on in the background. So it, it I never really thought about it before as, as an issue. But, uh, uh, you know, but LSOF would, would presumably answer that question if you can catch it at the right time. Yeah, a couple other thoughts. So yep. um, you can try this uh, energy saver, uh, system preferences, energy saver, sleep. Put hard disks to sleep if possible. There's a checkbox. Right. Give it a whirl. Though in this case, it doesn't sound like that'll fix the problem, but in other cases, it may. Well, it, if it you definitely uncheck, is correlated to Safari. If you uncheck the box, it would, it would, in theory, stop the delay from happening. Though, though we've heard some external drives. Uh, spin down on their own, you know, intern the internal electronics to the drive say that, well, no data is passed back and forth. I'm going to go ahead and spin the drive down regardless of what the computer tells it to do. So, um, yeah. And the one thing I could think is that I run something and, uh, I don't know if this is at a low level than the OS, uh, or what, but, um, you know, there is something called smart, which is a technology that monitors a drive's health. And if something is starting to go or gone, assuming it right. can still see the drive, uh, the smart mechanism will, uh, you know, tell you what's going on. I have something that I run on both my machines called Smart Reporter. Uh, it basically makes occasional check of the drive, saying, "Hey, what's your smart status?" And it's like everything's great, and it's that. That's, um, and you can get that through uh, um, one of the Apple. The disk utility actually also shows the smart status. So I'm wondering if that's happening. I think, happening I, think I know level. the answer. Really? Yeah. I, I, you know, I did a little search for Safari spins up external drive here. And I found an yeah. Apple discussion where somebody did exactly what we're talking about and posted the mm. the output from uh, essentially LSOF. We'll, we'll we'll say that I think they got it a different way. But, but what they're finding is uh, that ATS server, which is the Apple Type Services server or the thing that manages fonts in Safari, goes ahead uh. and and spins up other drives when it's looking for uh, deactivated <sighs> fonts. Dude, so. That that could very well be it. Um, and and if I bet if you look, you know, a Web page that you're visiting in Safari is calling for a font that you don't have. And so it's spinning up and, and just making sure it doesn't exist elsewhere. So it's a yeah, it sounds kind of dumb. Yeah, you know what? I agree. Well, you think it'd be like, hey, you know, there, there's probably not I any could, fonts like you would think a font cache or something like that would indicate the state of fonts in the machine you wouldn't have to do this sort of thing anyways yeah a cache would be a great idea i mean that would just be that would be awesome but uh, so uh maybe they'll fix it in snow leopard who knows they're they're, they're putting a lot of work into that you know yeah and i've also heard like wd drives will actually do the opposite sometimes I've, i've known people that have western digital drives and i think some of them it's baked in the firmware they will not spin down there's just something weird even if you tell them yo dude go to sleep they'll be like nope 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 really yeah, I know we had someone write in with certain models uh, and the Mac. Uh, they may have since fixed that through a driver or firmware or something like that. But I have heard of that problem where you, know, it, you would expect the drive to do what you tell it, but some just don't. So huh. I'll, I'll dig that up, too, for the uh, uh, you know ever-popular show notes. I know it was a tech note that I had somewhere. Okay. Okay. Huh. Great. All right. So now moving on to Brian. And Brian writes... I have a Western speaking of West hard drives and Western digital drives. I have a Western digital 500 gigabyte external hard drive. 
The power supply recently died on me, and according to a Google search of the product, I am hardly the only one with this issue. I purchased the product about a year and a half ago, so I know the product is out of warranty. While attempting to purchase another power supply, it is seemingly difficult to come up with the exact model power supply. I have, however, found many similar to it, same number of pins, on eBay and Amazon, but I'm unsure if one of these other power supplies would work for this product. Okay, so there, there's a couple of things. Let's answer. This isn't a short answer either. <laughs> no. Uh, well, the most immediate okay. answer yes. I could offer. Yep. All right. Western Digital, right? Yep. And uh, first off, a finger wag at them. Not a rant, a finger wag, because I was trying to go to their uh, their uh, page to, to look this up, but I also have it in my notes. Okay. Um, dude, you don't play sounds on a web page unless people give you permission, all right? Oh, yeah. All right, so that, uh, no, that's not a finger wag. That's a fist shake. Stop that, man. I mean, what if... I hate that's that. That's just lame. I, Give I, me a button that says unmute, okay? That that I can deal with, but don't don't assault me like that. Right. So anyways, um, the, the easy answer here is that, uh, so I looked up that, that uh, product model. Uh, I eventually found what it was, and it is a, a version of a curtain product. If you go to their site, you go to home, accessories, power supplies, voila, they have power supplies for pretty much, because uh, this, this drive is, uh, from what I recall, a USB drive, but it also has a, as we fondly call it, a wall wart. Yep. Okay. Um, so it sounds like it can't always operate off a of USB power, so sometimes you may need external power for this drive. Sure. And it sounds like it died, and it looked like, you know, some of the supplies were, you know, 10, 15 bucks. You could do that. It may just be a cheap, El Cheapo power supply, and they just kind of die. Um you could go, if it's a standard, what I'll call a barrel connector, and you can figure out the polar- the voltage and the current. Uh, Radio Shack has some nice semi-universal things, I think, still, where they have multiple tips. Uh, they can do multiple voltages. Just keep an eye on the current. You may not, it may not have enough to, to power everything. Uh, um, right. So, quick and dirty, but then this gets into an area, Dave, where I, uh, at first I, I disregarded your suggestion as just... Uh, Right. Kind of throwing in the towel, but um, but go on. Yeah. So, you know, I saw this and thought, OK, well, I'm sure we can find a power supply. You know, Western Digital might take an hour on the phone with, you know, support. But somebody there knows the answer of what kind of, you know, power supply this needs. But if you're seeing that other people are having similar problems, uh, it is worth at least bearing in mind through this uh, this ordeal that the drive the hard drive itself is not married to the case. Now, they in this case, they're both likely Western Digital drives. It'd be very funny if Western Digital had the case and, and then had somebody else's drive inside it. Uh, but, you know, you can take that Western Digital drive out of that case and put it into any uh, aftermarket case that, that, you know, will support that that type and size of drive. And there's lots of them out there. Now, they're not cheap. They're usually about 100 bucks. So. Uh, depending on the price and difficulty uh, involved in getting the power supply, you might be better off that way. But but, you know, I just wanted to bear that in mind. And that works the other way, too. If the hard drive itself dies, don't throw away the case. You know, you might want to pitch the drive, but but save the case because you might run into a situation like this. And uh, so, you know, there you go. There is a lot of chatter happening in our little All Skype right. room here. Well, I'm going to tell you per your suggestion. So Pete chimed in here and I, I agree with him. So actually, the the, the person that wrote in. Um, I'm, I'm hiding that. What am I doing here? Uh, Brian, I'm sorry. Um, he mentioned multiple pins. All right. As it turns out, this is some sort of annoying proprietary connector because Pete indicates it looks like an S-Video connector. So it sounds like oh, it may have four yeah. pins or something like that, maybe multiple voltages mm-hmm. and stuff. So, so I don't think I don't. I think that's proprietary enough where you may have to only get it from them. Though I don't, I don't know if Radio Shack has expanded their you know wall wart yep. product line. 
Which, uh, did you hear this thing about some initiative over in Europe, like for a standard for cell phone charges or something? I did. Yeah. Apple. Apparently we, we ran an article at TMO today on that. Uh, ah, that's a- where I saw it. Yep. Apple and, and other companies have have uh, agreed to adhere to this this very standard cell phone charger uh, standard, I guess, uh, where there's one connector that works. Now, you, you and I both know that what they're going to do is they're going to make a thing that plugs into that connector and then and then connects to the dock connector on the bottom because they're not going to abandon the dock connector on the mm-hmm. iPhone or any other iPod right now. But uh, but yeah, yeah. So all good stuff. All right. I think uh, all right. Uh, we we can we can talk about Mark's tip here. I think this was good. Um, you know, we were talking about the new MacBook Pros, right, and how they have the SD card uh, slot and how great that is compared to the Express card slot. Well, Mark writes in. Uh, I would have to agree with you that for the most part, the Express Card slot in the MacBook Pro is pretty much wasted, and the SD reader was a good trade. But I did find a use for the Express Card slot in my late 2008 MacBook Pro unibody today. And what is it? It's a Kensington Express Card media reader, which, of course, provides you with an SD card slot in your Express Card. Now, he says that fits flush right up against the side of the uh, of the MacBook Pro, so it essentially turns it into what you already have. And I think we found them at Kensington and it was only about 30 bucks, uh, maybe, maybe 40 bucks. Um, so, you know, uh, definitely worth checking out if, if you uh, want that functionality in your existing MacBook pro and, and don't want to have to trade out to do it. So, yep. And I think the big plus is that um, express card, cause I have a, uh, which I've had for a number of years, a, a USB kind of universal, you know, tiny memory card reader. Yep. That'll read CF and SD and then, you know, a few different ones. Um, but the thing is, that's only USB 2. Express card is, I believe, an order of magnitude faster. You're talking hundreds of megabytes per second, I think, in general, for an Express card 34, which I think is what they that's right. used to have yep. on the Mac. I'm just looking very quickly here, but I see a lot of references to the 200 or so megabytes per second. So you're going to be, you know, moving data around very quickly versus a USB uh, Right, right, right. Good it's point. Like such a waste for an express card slot. It just has so much potential, you know, to, to be to make it just an SD reader. Yeah, what are you going to do with it? I mean, what what are you doing with yours? By, by, All sorts by, of things. Oh, yeah. Is that right? I like pushing the little door in every uh-huh. now and then and uh-huh. out. and you Store you know, paper clips in there? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> no, actually, someone that I work with, because I, I saw one of the machines at work, um... I saw something in this in the express card slot of one of the machines that they had lent out to one of our interns. And I'm like, you know, you got something on the side of your Mac there. And he's like, oh, yeah, because I didn't see a silver door. I saw oh, something black. Right. And, I, and I went to the, the, you know, the employee coworker that gave it to him. And apparently it was like a little mini Unix or Linux uh, embedded kind of device that uh, apparently is self-contained and runs on a on a express card slot. Wow. I'll, I'll have to get the name of it. But um yeah, I was looking for the longest time, and it really bothered me, but I had uh, inadvertently gotten a machine at work that had Express Card, and the machine didn't have a parallel port. And apparently there are, I needed, I had at the time the need to use a parallel port. I could never find, maybe they're out now, but I could never find Express Card parallel port. PCMCIA, yes. Uh, there were parallel port adapters, but not for Express Card. It, it seems there were people thinking of it. Maybe they eventually came out with it. Then again, it's probably time for a new uh, 
and your computer. Works. Hey, now here's something, John. That I, f- I was just about yes. to go into a rant about how uh, not no, necessarily no, no, a rant, no, no, but you know, just a, I was going to comment about how the uh, the Express Card was <laughs> probably the, one of the stupidest decisions that Apple has ever made to put in a computer. And you know what? I I still agree with that. But for 119 bucks at Amazon, I just found a 32 big 32 gig, uh, which is not all that big, but 32 gig uh, SSD drive that fits in your Express Card slot. Oh, a little baby one. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Well, you know, I think this thing that he was talking about probably used was, one of it, those. That's what made me think of it, and that's what I went to oh, okay. search for. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. very cool. Yeah. An Express card is, is, is beefy enough that it'll, yeah, it'll, it'll it, zip right It would along. cook. Yeah, exactly. Well, as we spoke before, probably much better than your USB uh, Right. There. Exactly. Or and on that, par with yep. SATA? Yeah. Well, that's what, what it is. Like. Actually, it's a it's a SATA, uh, yeah, sort of thing, I guess. I don't know. Uh, okay, yeah. we're flinging those acronyms around like uh, like it's nobody's, it's nobody's business. Business. All right. Let's <laughs> let's tell people how to get in touch with us if they have their own acronyms to fling there, John. Um, you know, the first thing, of course, you pick up the phone and you punch the buttons or you dial the dial if, if you know about that. And I would dial 206 yeah. <laughs> 206-666-GEEK, which is, Dave? 4335. Reverse order, that's 5334, but you wouldn't dial it that way. You might write it that way if you uh, were left-handed and you didn't want to smudge your words. So you what? might... So look, left-handed people, right? If they're writing on the paper, they have to learn not to rub their hand across all the, the letters they just wrote. I'm you're not a lefty. lefty. No, some of the doctors say I should have been, but uh, Pete is. So uh, I'm sure okay. he could. I'm sure that's what the all these Skype noises that we're hearing. He is a southpaw. There he is. Yeah. So uh, so if you were a lefty, you would write five three three four six dash six 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 dash six zero two. But then you would actually dial it in in the the, the uh, reverse order there. So yeah. How else? So uh, feedback yeah, so we... at macgeekgab dot com, which would be m o c dot b a g k e e g c a m at K C A B D E E F. Yeah. Now, did you say <laughs> feedback at MacGigab.com? It would have been a whole lot easier if I had actually looked and just read that instead of trying to do it in my head. Will you follow the script, man? I'm trying. No, I'm not All right, trying. You can Skype us. You can Skype. He's left-handed, not dyslexic. Pete says in the Skype chat, thank you very much. Uh, you D-I-S. can Skype us. Did he spell dyslexic? I think he spelled dyslexic. He might have spelled that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, I don't think he did. Um, you can Skype us to Mac Geek Gab, but but don't forget about that email address. Even if you have to write it down backwards to remember it, because that always makes it easier to remember things. You know, uh, is feedback at macgeekgab.com. All right. Oh, and what else? You know, if if you want to get a, you know, kind of find out what we're doing in our lives. Well, of course, we have Twitter. Yeah, we do. Twitter. You can Twitter us at MacGeekGab. Surprise. Right. Um, our individual, if you'd like to learn what's going on in our lives, not necessarily always uh, having anything to do with the podcast. But I am John Efron. Dave Hamilton is Dave Hamilton. And Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. And then, of course, there is the fountain of all knowledge and wisdom in the Mac world, the Mac Observer Twitter feed. Right. At Mac Observer. All right. They're simple. They, we try to keep it simple, man. That's uh, that's that's our whatever. Whatever we do here. Uh, Sharon, let's, let's move on to Sharon. So Sharon has an interesting issue here. 
Now we're getting Now we are officially we've crossed over from the short things into the longs. And, you know, I have to say, despite the fact that we weren't necessarily pithy and concise with our answers on the short things, they were definitely shorter than what you're about to get here. So Sharon writes, I have several clients in a local retirement community. They have a network supplied by the community that they all use to access the Internet. When my clients who have Macs try to download something, it starts out fine, then gets slower and slower. The download speeds go lower and lower and the download time goes higher and higher until the download eventually just stalls. If you restart it by clicking on the restart icon in the download window, it will start again and soon stop again. I was able to download Google Earth yesterday on a brand new iMac in about 40 minutes by just watching it and restarting it every time it stalled out. This happens with Safari and Firefox both. Everyone with a PC gets downloads just fine. No stalling, just a steady download. I called Apple once about this, and they said we needed to restart the router as though it were a home network. The woman at the retirement community, there are several hundred people on this network, actually tried restarting it for us, but it did not help. Okay, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and, and cite the answer that I emailed her, though I'm, I'm not... You think? Okay. Well, it, it's worth noting that several hundred people on one router can be an issue. And here's yes. why. Uh, most route, in fact, all routers have a maximum number of connections that they can service at any one point in time. Uh, our, my Linksys router, at least running the firmware that I have on it, can service 4,096 separate ports is what it's called. Now. Really? I think that should be sockets, but anyways, go ahead. Well, they call it ports, but I would agree with you that it should be sockets. That's right. Uh, so the way it works is, uh, you know, when you go to load a web page, it might open, I don't know, 10 different sockets, right? Because you're oh, going to... Sure. You're going to... Graphic, right. uh, to all the elements that make up a page. Yeah, that could be a big burst. Yeah, that's right. So you multiply that by by several hundred people. You know, if you've got 200 people that are all surfing the web... Uh, you know, it it doesn't take very long to count up to four thousand. Now, depending on how the router is is set up, uh, it, you know, my guess is these routers work on first in, first out, right? So, uh, if someone if if you start your transfer and then four thousand ports are needed after that by other people, well, you might just get lost in the shuffle. Uh, so, so that's that's a possibility, but. It is worth noting, of course, that this only happens with the Mac clients and not with the Windows clients. Now, that could also it could be part of the same thing, but uh, but it, it's worth noting that. So that's the weird part. Yep. Now, though, I had a question when I read this question, and I think you and I or I think you because I want to blame you. for you gotta, Go ahead and blame me. It's fine. <laughs> I'll t- I can take it, man. I can take um, it. Uh, uh, Sharon did not. Explicit, explicitly state. I don't know why I'm stumbling here. Um, I don't know why, but she did not mention whether this is wired or wireless or a mix of both. And I think you reviewed question and, and confirmed right. that, Dave. Right. Yeah. There, there's. there's... Um, so you know, uh, knowing that Sharon, if you if you could follow up with us, that'd be great because I. Uh, my guess is that this is wireless. Oh, that'd be a lot of wireless clients on one router. You couldn't. You, uh, no, well, that's why that I'm thinking work. is that, that if it work. is wired or do you think it's a mix? Uh, what I'm saying is that I, I would think something like this would be more prone to problems if it was a wireless, all wireless environment than if it was wired. My guess is it's wired. 
I, I, but but I, right. I mean, that's just a huh. guess. I, I could be wrong. Yeah. In either case, I, I would I would say problems with that number of people on a single device would crop up more quickly if you were in a wireless environment. Uh, will you go with me on that, brother? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And and you know, I'm, I'm wondering if it could be another with you know maybe the people that are getting good performance they they got some you know leases DHCP leases and and they're you know kind of you know hooked up and and the other people are trying to get no that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, no, I, I think the. It, it sounds like she knows, based on Sharon's email, I, I would say she knows enough to have checked that. Though, you know, it's always worth making sure, you know, make sure the cable's plugged in, et cetera, et cetera, right? I mean, but but it sounds like she's, you know. I mean, I'm just trying to think of the, what is the correlation other than the platform? I mean, do all the Mac people hang out in one section? <laughs> they, are uh, they segregated no, in, the, in the retirement community? By choice, By- I would say. <laughs> But no, are they in? I mean, it could be. So I don't know if there's one router or multiple, you know, distribution points here. I'm thinking it may be a physical thing. There could be bad cabling, in which case these machines are just they're they're trying their best. But there's, you know, something wrong with the wiring or the sure, you know, they got cheap cables and stuff like that. If if we're talking a wired environment, um, they'll get, you know, the correlation with it only happening with Max uh, again does kind of bother me. And I'm trying to explain my way out of why that. Shouldn't be the case. Don't pick on the Mac. Don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I've I don't done have the tests at work, and I've I've gotten you know we got you know standard you know big boy Cisco routers you know a couple of and you've seen these these monsters. I mean we we got building uh, our building probably has a couple of thousand people. Yep. Um, and probably as many network connections. So we got two of these whopping Cisco things. I mean you've seen these. I mean there are hundreds. Of ports. Uh, now, I don't know what class of device they're, they're using in this place. Uh, if it's one of those or yeah, yeah. struggling, maybe it's just underpowered. Can we can we can we take a stab at that? Yeah, but no, it only happens on the Max. That's oh, right. It's really bugging me, man. Come I, on. Give me an answer, Dave. I, I wish I had the answer. I don't uh, I don't I don't have it. Um, I, think, I think we need more data. We need so, more data. Uh, yeah. But, you know, somebody out there might have seen something like that. So, you know, well. But if, if anybody has an idea, pass it along to us. We'll uh, if it's if it's relevant enough, we'll share it in the show. If it's too specific, we'll certainly pass it along to Sharon so that uh, that, that her and her clients can live happy Mac uh, oriented lives. Puppies and <sighs> rainbows. And, yes. and and now we're going to go into a really geeky question. Hey, John and Dave. My name is Dave. Um, just calling in with a comment about the last episode, 208. You guys were talking at the end about um, the new 3GS and the new hardware and stuff. Um, and one of you guys started making a comment about how you can't page in and out and the fixed RAM and all that stuff. I always thought the same thing, but um, I, something to bring you guys' attention. Maybe you can figure out how this works. program called iStat from the App Store, um, very similar to like iStat and uh, menu meters and stuff like that on the Mac. Um, but iStat is supposed to give you all that same information on your iPod. And then it actually lets you like set up a server type client on the uh, on your computers and you can actually monitor them from the iPod program. But anyways, um, it sets up your iPod as the default and so I'm looking at it, it shows me a wired active and active and free memory. And you can actually free up uh, RAM when programs don't quit correctly. But to the right of that, it shows page ins and page outs. So I don't know if that's going to any free space on the hard drive maybe or 
like I have an eight gig iPod Touch, and I know in iTunes it only shows it as seven point two gigs usable or something. You you never get that full eight gigs, so maybe part of it is uh, like a swap file or a swap page or something. Um, so, anyways, mine for instance shows page in sixty four thousand nine eighty three and page out eighty nine. So, uh, anyways, it does seem like it has some swap file. Okay, yeah. So the the hmm. it's worth remembering that the iPhone OS is Mac OS and underneath you know underneath, which is Unix at, at the very core, right? So therefore, it is an operating system that supports the concept of virtual memory. Uh, and I believe from, from what I've seen, and th- this is just anecdotal stuff from apps like iStat and, and other reports, I believe what they've done on the iPhone is fixed the virtual memory size at 64 megabytes. Now that may be 64 megs on the flash drive. I don't know if it's just 64 megs in, in Ram or, or what, but I, I believe it is fixed at that. It will not your max virtual memory size will continue to grow as necessary. Uh, and then it will shrink back down if you if you don't need it anymore. Uh, and virtual memory for really? uh, for the rest of you, for the rest of you, um, the idea of virtual memory is as your computer needs more RAM than you have chips in there. It uses space on the hard drive to do this. So for the iPhone, and I'll get to your really in a minute, John, but uh, but just to just to finish this path here. So the iPhone is set with a fixed amount of virtual memory, which essentially means none you know, or very little enough to support what the OS expects to be able to do in terms of memory management, because it is just Unix at the core. Uh, and it is amazing that we have, you know, a Unix device sitting in our pockets that's way more powerful, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times, 600 times more powerful than the first computer I ever had. But uh, but yeah, it does have it, but but not in the way that, that we're used to on the Mac where it can just sort of expand out and do whatever it wants to do. Well, so. well doesn't it always boil down to, at least in most uh, Unix, Unix-y yeah. type OSs, um, that there is a swap partition mm. in whatever file system you have? In most Unix operating systems, but not in the Mac. There, huh, is, okay. there is no swap partition uh, what happens is the Mac, when it starts up, it creates a 64 meg uh, swap file. And then as it needs to use more swap, it starts creating more. And and as it creates each one, they get they double in size. Right. So it, it creates a 64, then okay. a 128 and then a 256. And, and you know, then it starts. I think that I think the biggest ones are, are one gig in size and they just keep you know going from there. OK, I've been doing some Unix installs lately. So, yep. Just thought I'd bring that up, that it, that it is a concept that, yeah, in one way or another is uh, is baked in there, and, either and by a partition or a file, as you're saying. So it could be, it could go either way. Now, the reason Apple did it as a file was because, you know, upgrading from OS 9 to OS 10, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have uh, selective repartition or non-destructive repartitioning at the time. So you needed to be able to do something to use these swap files. So they started just creating files right there on yep. your main drive. The problem is that's horribly inefficient. And we talked a little bit about that, you know, to tie this whole thing back together to the, you know, the, the, the run core SSD drives that we talked about at the beginning. Part of the problem is if you've got a, if you, let's say you launch an app, right? And the app, this is the app that breaks the camel's back in terms of it needs, it requires your computer to need more RAM than you have. So now we've got a page out to swap. 
Now you've got one hard drive. You're reading the application and, you know, all its associated frameworks and data uh, from your hard drive. And at the same time, the computer's saying, oh, I got to go page out. So now it's paging out to the same drive. That slows things down immensely. So a much more efficient thing would be to have uh, your swap partition on a separate, completely separate drive. Right. Mm -hmm. So one cool thing might be go ahead and get one of these, you know, 16 or 32 gig express card uh, SSD drives. Pop that in there. And then there there are ways of telling OS 10, go ahead and use something else. You know, use a separate drive for my uh, for my swap. And now you're using, you know, a RAM drive for your swap. That could actually make things pretty efficient. And you can get a 16 gig one of these things. I think what do we find it for? One hundred and one hundred and twenty bucks. So that might actually be a cool little upgrade to do, John. Remember when we were the cat's meow when we made RAM discs on our Apple twos? Yeah. Oh, man. I think I, I, oh, I remember that. Remember, uh, I'll digress a little bit, but remember the uh, bulletin board we ran? Yeah. And I they, believe what I did is I put my index file for my user database. I believe I put that that's as right. RAM disk. You did. Yep. Because I had improved it a little bit, but it was still dog slow because I had, you know, a lot of users. Right. So when I was looking up in an index file to find out, you know, to correlate the username to the user number, or the record number in the database, I would rip through a file in the RAM disk because that was a case where I needed speed. I could not do that on a floppy or, well, it, it was sad if, if I tried. Right. I mean, you know, it was it, it was terrible. I mean, that was like the worst case scenario. So having a tiny little RAM disk uh, really sped that up. You know, I haven't dabbled with that a lot lately we, on either the PC or the Mac. We did on, on one of our servers, and I can't remember why we did this, but but the answer to one of our issues uh, with, with something to, to speed something up on, on one of the servers that we host uh, the sites on was to create a very small RAM disk. I mean, it was maybe 128 megs or something mm-hmm. to store, you know, some commonly used files. Or I forget what we did, but but we're actually using it. And uh, and it did. It made a performance performance increase. Oh, it was uh, Expression Engine, which is the software that we used to uh, publish TMO, the content management system that we migrated to back in November. Um, it stores all of... You know, it goes and builds all of our pages and then stores them in a flat file cache because it's very quick to read from that. But even quicker is if that flat file cache is stored in a RAM drive. So uh, so we we do that. So there you go. That's it. Okay. And uh, where are we at? You know, some of it's gone. All right, let's try this again. We started getting that stuttery thing, even though I'm saving the file out to the Drobo. You know, I knew when we started the show. Remember I said to you, John, I, I should reboot the machine. Uh, I don't trust it. I think it's going to go stuttery tonight. Well, sure enough. Um, I don't know if it's because we've got we've actually got yep. Pete. Pete is elsewhere in the world. And uh, so we've got him on Skype. But I, I don't I, I noticed it's Pete's fault. No, I don't think it is. I, you know, at first I noticed that our our CPU usage on the iMac here was much higher than normal. And that often means that there's something going on with the drive. But but there's no virtual memory used in anything. So I thought, well, maybe it's just Skype because of Pete. Yep. But I don't, I don't think it is. He's in Shanghai. So uh, yeah, I got one thing to say. What do you have to say? Two zero six 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 geek, which is <laughs> four three three five. Email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. And did, you, uh, did you say feedback at macgeekgab.com? I said feedback at macgeekgab.com. I thought that's what you said. <laughs> iPhonealley.com is where Michael Johnston uh, spends his time when he's not either converting this show or driving around the uh, country. Last week's 
Uh, really? Last week's AAC conversion, Michael emailed me that night and said, oh, dude, I'm, I'm driving around the country, you know, road trip. And uh, so I, I can't do it. So I actually did the conversion last week. And it went yeah. swimmingly well up until the end when I realized that GarageBand was flaking out on me and creating files without uh, links in them, even though it said it would. But so I had to sort of rebuild it. But uh, but anyway, it, you know that that was uh, that was me. But Michael says he's he's back and uh, and rip raring to go. So this one rip will raring? rip raring, man. Rip Roaring? Yeah. Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth from uh, to get the data from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, and Notebook from Circus Ponies all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And one thing we really like, and there are lots of them out there now, I think we got another, I don't know, it looks like we got another 20 or 30 iTunes comments in the last week, John, and then... We always like that. So nice. So, yeah. we're, so we're still trouncing uh, Christensen there. <laughs> I don't know. I gotta check Adam, that out. Yeah, Adam with I'm the Mac cast. You, Adam. That's right. He's our pal. <laughs> he rocks. And and you know there was there was a rant last week about Little Snitch. And John Martellero wrote a rebuttal to my rant about Little Snitch. And my my retort is coming. So, uh, you know, Mr. Martellero, be careful you don't get caught. Made up. 